episode 69 of This Developing Story. So another episode here. Um, as mentioned, uh, I will be doing this episode and then I'll be taking a break uh, for a couple weeks. For those of you who aren't caught up, uh, you won't even notice because you'll have an episode just after this. But I'll take a couple weeks just for the holidays, um, also for my conference talk that's coming up in two weeks. Um, it's it's turning out to be a pretty interesting talk. It's going to be a little more interesting, I think, than even my React Native talk. And um, yeah, it's quite different. It'll also be another talk outside of the Ruby community. So I'm kind of I'm at the point where I've got almost as many Ruby talks as I have in JavaScript. So and uh, I technically, I don't know if I even mentioned, I kind of already transitioned away from Rails full-time. I still have a Rails app that I work on on a daily basis at Netlify, but that's the API, and I don't really do much of the backend code. So, yeah, it's been an interesting transition. Um, you know, React is pretty popular right now, so it isn't really too hard um, to find feedback in the community. So, um, yeah, I'm also looking into... As of this week, I'm looking at Elm. We kind of talk about a little bit about Elm in this podcast, but let me just transition into this episode actually is with Tony Wynn. Um, so Tony is an actual person that I actually met in the very beginning of my attempt to learn how to program. I met him uh, transitioning as I was interviewing with Isaiah. I met him at a Ruby meetup, and he actually was moving to Tampa as I was moving to Orlando, and he was moving from Orlando. So... We didn't actually connect uh, for that much uh, while we were transitioning from each city to the city we were going to, um, but I did connect with him uh, quite a few times through the internet. Finally reached out to see if he'd like to come on the podcast because he's been a person I've been really interested in, um, seeing how he came from a company that I worked for. So I hope you guys enjoy Tony Wynn. He's going to talk about how he got into programming and what he's doing now with Ebor. <laughs> So hi, my name's Tony. Um, I am a developer. I work remotely out of Tampa, Florida. Um, I've been doing it for about eight years or so. Um, and how I got into programming, I, uh, like I said, it's been about eight years that I've been doing it. I actually went to college and graduated with uh, MIS degree, um, which gave me a little bit of information about programming, but it was really basic and uh, that's the um like the it degree or yeah it's like the management if, information if, systems exactly if uh computer science and business uh got together and, and had a child degree it would be a <laughs> mis degree although like my program doesn't exist anymore so maybe it's it's not a great option for people yeah it was that at usf or did you go to ucf i went or to ucf to yeah oh ucf okay yep yeah, I went to USF and had the same option. Uh, I didn't go that route, but that was an available option for us at the time to do MIS. Yeah, I, I feel like those programs are are kind of kind of going away. I I don't know. I I could I could totally be wrong. It might just be the part of of the business world that I'm in these days, um, where it seems to be a lot more like practical. You've got a fairly specific skill that uh, an employer wants instead of a more broad understanding of how business and software in general uh, interact with each other. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So you got the degree and then what was the, what was the next step after that? Yeah. So I got a degree or I got the degree and then I was a systems analyst for 
health insurance, well, not a health insurance company, but a health uh, company. And basically what I ended up doing was uh, configuring rows on a DB table so that uh, different employers would uh, get the right prices for the next year. So it wasn't, wasn't actually programming, but it was a step kind of in that direction. Um, so basically I was in charge of kind of configuring the software for uh, the next plan year kind of thing. Yeah. But the actual code that was written was like so many layers beyond uh, what I was doing. It was uh, written in Cobalt, um, oh, wow. and I, I never saw any of those people, never heard from all, any of those people. It was just there were some documentation, and if I if I set uh, this particular module in this database, like this should be the expected output, which is a really neat system. But it left me like really frustrated because the you there was no like real creativity around it. It was let's read the documentation and figure out where the module is. And if the module doesn't exist, well, maybe we've got to go, go back to the client and say, sorry, this isn't possible. Um, so, so yeah, from there, uh, I ba basically that frustration uh, led me to uh, Ruby on Rails. It was uh, probably 2006, 2007 when I first heard of it. Um, and that was the big, like, oops, uh, DHH, build a blog, and... Uh, in 15 minutes kind of time. And yeah. so it was, it was super interesting to me and I started uh, learning some Rails and eventually decided uh, that I wanted to take the leap into uh, doing software development. And that was, at the time, really a, a pretty big leap. I wasn't, I wasn't married, I didn't have much in the way of like family obligations or anything like that. Um, so I basically saved up a little money um, did a week-long Rails training, and then uh, at the end of that, like, kind of quit my job and started teaching myself, like, full-time for a few months, uh, and eventually landed landed a client um, who uh, I think I ended up um, working on the project for, uh, like, almost a year and was making almost nothing uh, for that year, um, but it was a great experience. I, I learned a lot through that and that kind of led me into the connections that uh, let me get, do some more consulting and eventually led to uh, my first real programming job. Cool. And that was, uh, so you did actual Rails as consultant or did you do something else like tangential to? No, it was, it was actual Rails application. Yeah. Oh, very cool. And what was your actual real first job programming? Um, I, my first job was actually the same as yours. I worked at Isaiah for, uh, oh, cool. for a few yeah. months. Wow. So you just made like a connection with somebody in, at Isaiah or something like that. It's, it <sighs> I mean, seems like I'm, a lot of people worked at Isaiah that I yeah, ran into. Yeah, they, they did. Um, I think I, I got connected with, uh, the Orlando Ruby, uh, users group. And so I was, uh, going there and knew some people. I don't think I, I really knew anybody well from Isaiah, but I knew of Isaiah just because um, they were a name to be known in, or in the Orlando Ruby world at that time. Yeah. Still are. Yeah. 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 Hopefully they still are. I um, actually I don't really chat with anybody who currently still works there. Um, every now and then I'll chat with one of the senior engineers, but he wasn't there when you were there for sure. Um, Cause he was only there like a year before me, but yeah, it's a, uh, yeah, Isaiah was a, a company that was on my it wasn't even on my radar. Um, like I, we've mentioned before, um, I hit record. I went to so I learned code and like 
it's weird because like we we met but we like just knew each other through the internet since mm-hmm. um so i learned how to code went to ancient ruby ran into the isaiah guys applied for the job because as they said i should um i wasn't actually planning on applying for a job because at the time i was doing sales <laughs> and that was like enough for me like i just was fine doing that and coding on the side mm-hmm. and then so i did that and then yeah i ended up moving to orlando from tampa at the same time that you moved from Orlando, you moved, sorry, I moved from Tampa to Orlando and you moved from Orlando to Tampa. Yeah, exactly. Like within like a month, which is <laughs> interesting. So are you, are you from Tampa or are you from Orlando? Or? No, I'm from the East Coast of Florida. So uh, I grew up, my dad worked at Kennedy Space Center and then I came over to oh, cool. Orlando for school, was in Orlando for a number of years. Um, and then I met my wife in Orlando, who's from Tampa. And so once we started having kids, it was nice to have uh, parents close by over here. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, we, uh, yeah, I'm the opposite where I'm on the West Coast with no family. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting. Yeah, it's, it's all trade-offs, right? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I moved to the West Coast for an opportunity. Um, I just happened to get a job interview in the, the Bay Area and went ahead and just went with it. And, uh, yeah, I do miss, miss being close to family, but also, like, the advancement and the actual space too, which is pretty cool. For sure. And that, that was totally something that I was, I was worried about moving from Orlando to Tampa where it, it felt like there was a lot less going on in Tampa. I, I don't know uh, how you felt at that time. Obviously you went from Tampa to, to Orlando. So there was some, some kind of draw over there. Um, but yeah. I, I was definitely worried about uh, what the scene is like over here. Yeah. And that's, that's really interesting too, because we met at a meetup you actually running a meetup, I think one or a couple of them. I'm not sure. I yeah, kind of see a couple of them on a meetup. <laughs> yeah, you you start one and then all of a sudden you figure out that you've got to start another one. Yeah, I, I'm up to I, three right now uh, that I'm I'm helping to organize. Cool, and that's one's eboard tech, which is just a general like yeah so, technology meetup. Yeah, so Ebor is a neighborhood around Tampa. Um, uh, with a lot of historic buildings, um, a lot of bars and, and stuff like that. And where I live is is actually uh, Ebor. So I started a not knowing like really anybody uh, over in the technology scene in the Tampa Bay area. I started trying to connect with people. Um, and so much of the activity was over in St. Petersburg, which is uh, like a half hour to like four hours away, depending on traffic at the at the particular time. Um, a little bit of an, uh, of, a overestimation there. Um, but I, I just really like kind of that meetup that I met you at, um, was one of the few that I, I made the drive over. I believe that that one was, was over in St. Pete. Um, actually, no, that one was on, on this side of the bay, wasn't it? I think so. Anyway, uh, so really kind of frustrated because the meetups like one one month would be on uh, this side, one month would be over in St. Pete and just really didn't have a good way of like kind of building community, seeing the same people over and over again. Like I've got young children and so the investment of uh, making that drive uh, out to connect with people was kind of more than I wanted to do. Um, so starting, starting Ebor Tech was just like a... Uh, an idea that like there might be other developers that are around me and wouldn't it be cool to get to get to know them maybe they're they're just like me and they they don't uh they don't want to drive all over like the metro area to different meetups 
Um, so my first thing was just like, let's, let's do an open hack. So once a month we get together, we have some pizza and beer, and we bring whatever technology problem we're, uh, we're interested in, and we try and get help from each other. For the most part, it's turned into a time of just uh, complaining or gloating over different uh, technological choices that we like that week. Um, but it's it's been a lot of fun. I've got to meet a lot of different people. I've got to uh, have been exposed to a lot of different uh, languages, uh, frameworks, tools that I never would have uh, taken the time to dig into if I if I didn't know those people that were interested in them. That's actually really cool. That's actually, I mean, it's it sounds like a cool approach because or unique because where I'm at, it's like the exact opposite where. No one cares about going across like the bridge to go to a meetup um, mm -hmm. in the Bay Area, but I feel like there's less like the actual intimate like exposure, like to be able to like talk one to one like with people and ask them about what languages they like or ask for like solving issues. I think you lose that in the Bay Area. Um, sorry, the San Francisco Bay Area as yeah. opposed to the Tampa Bay Area. Um, I always make that joke all the time. Nobody gets it, <laughs> but. Um, yeah, so it's like most meetups are sponsored by large companies. Like I use large as relative. Like they're just well-known tech companies that we, we use their apps all the time. Mm -hmm. And people just go there for the free food and the, the top talent to talk, and then they leave. Like usually if they have three talks, which is pretty normal to have three talks in one night, most people don't even make it through the third talk because they just, they're there for the food and like the exposure, and then they leave and yeah, because like, and... they've got what they wanted. And that totally makes sense. If you walk into a room full of 300 people, like you're not going to walk in and be like high-fiving everyone in, on your way in. Like these are, these are people that you've, you've never seen before. Like even if you've been at the same meetup with them a number of times, like what's, what's the likelihood that you guys have actually interacted? So having something that's, that's smaller, and that definitely by making a decision that like we're kind of this neighborhood-based like technology group, it, it means that a lot of people aren't aren't going to make the drive over for it, right? Like in the name yeah. is already like, okay, this is this is a small thing, and I'm not I'm not going to spend 45 minutes or whatever driving over to it. Um, but it it has ended up creating a, a pretty cool cool atmosphere. Yeah, that's that's awesome. And then so like when I left Tampa, Ebor was like. For obvious reasons, all the meetups were in St. Pete because everybody liked St. Pete, and that's like where everybody was moving to. Mm -hmm. And you were opposite that you actually were moving. You moved to Tampa at a time when most people were moving away from Ebor. Mm -hmm. um, is the neighborhood still about the same, or is it is it growing or having like a resurgence? Have you noticed? Um, it, so the the neighborhood is is definitely changing, and especially the the neighborhoods around it are changing a lot. Um, like there's, there's a lot of investment that's, uh, going on within the downtownish area that is impacting it. Ebor itself, um, I don't, I don't think has, has changed probably a ton since you've last been here. Like you definitely recognize it. There are new developments that are, that are coming up. Um, but part of, part of starting it too was imagining like, okay, there's a particular tra trajectory about like urban areas are just kind of growing in our country. And so like eventually there's, there's going to be, I think a tech community that's going to exist uh, in this area. So why not go ahead and uh, get the jump on it and be a part of like building and instilling some kind of culture in what that thing is. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually a really good way of 
to actually look at it and approach it rather than following the last year's trend in starting a meetup in the heart of St. Pete. So I like your approach and I like the fact that you, you stuck to your guns and made a meetup in your neighborhood rather than, um, yeah, again, go across the bridge. Yeah. And like if, if we were in the San Francisco Bay area, it, it maybe wouldn't make as much sense. Uh, part of the problem with Tampa Bay is we just don't have that much density of developers, uh, to begin with. So, and we're a pretty big, uh, geographic area. So really like getting a vibrant community, um, is really difficult if you're just always casting as broad as you can. Um, like when you, when you think of where a San Francisco based meetup is going to be like, there's, there's probably like a five mile radius that you're like, okay, it's, it's definitely going to be right here. And if it's not, if something's going on in Oakland or whatever, then that's going to be like pretty outside of the norm. And for us, it's, it's like, yeah, St. Pete was a little bit stronger, but there's also stuff going on in Sarasota. There's stuff that's going on in downtown Tampa. And it's just like having, having, not having a good default means that our, our community is going to be different than what we can do um, in a place where there is like a known center. Yeah, very true. So as far as like the languages that you, you mentioned that you got, you're able to like get exposed, exposed to, um, what sort of things have you been exposed to since you started like the Ebor tech meetup? Um, so, I mean, the, the big thing like professionally for me in the past year, and it's, it's not as much straight from there, but I've been doing like 95% Elixir, uh, these days, which is, has been a lot of fun. Um, I've learned, learned a ton, um, and have, have had a lot of fun, uh, exposing that to other people that are that are in the meetup. So whenever we're going around and we're talking about like what we're excited about, like that's, I, I'm kind of the elixir guy in these, in this group of people. Um, but like a, a lot of what people have ended up being interested in are these uh, functional programming uh, stuff. So one of my friends that comes like he's, he's really into closure. So I, I get to learn a little bit of closure, learn about uh, closure script um, there's people that are really into like JavaScript, but as a functional language, like, uh, putting those guardrails in place that they're, they're not gonna, gonna do any non-functional data in data out, uh, with their JavaScript projects. Um, there, there's, yeah, there's, that's the majority of, of the stuff that's coming in is functional. We've also had some people, uh, come in interested in Rust. Like I haven't been able to dig in to the Rust side as, as much yet, but it seems to be a super interesting language. Um, kind of through, through learning, um, about closure and uh, its own framework, I got interested in, uh, in Elm, which is another like front end functional programming language, uh, compiles to JavaScript. And so I've, I've actually learned, uh, most of what I learned about, have learned about Elm is because I, I signed up to give a talk <laughs> to people about Elm, a particular part of Elm. Yeah. Um, so that, that's definitely a, uh, a growth hack uh, of your learning. Like, go ahead and sign up to give a talk about something that you don't actually know yet. And by the end, you, you, will, you will have known something. Um, even, even if you don't give an expert talk, probably there's going to be somebody there uh, that's going to spur some conversation and having a smaller group where, uh, it's like 
our, our functional meetups run like 10 or so people. So it can be more of a conversation. So if, uh, if I don't have something exactly right or I have some kind of question, even as a presenter, we can discuss it as a group, which has been great. Yeah. Yeah, I like that approach too. Yeah, I did that the very same thing. Um, actually, all my talks are that approach where I pick a topic I want to di dive deeper into. Um, and it's funny you mentioned Elm because Elm actually, uh, Richard Feynman, uh, whatever that guy's name is, mm -hmm. that from Know It Red Ink, he actually did a, no, actually it was Evan that actually wrote the blog post about the Elm meetup very wow. recently and their approach. And they do actually your approach, which is actually more intimate. Um, despite it being in the heart, like literally across the street from the giant stadium, um, and right in the heart of San Francisco, they actually have more of a intimate group that comes to do Elm and, and rather than do a talk, they do, a, um, not even a workshop. They actually do hack nights um, in Elm and that way you can actually get the creative Elm to answer your questions and you get some of the team at no Reading to actually answer some questions and uh, you get to try it out firsthand. And it actually, it's actually been a really good recruiting tool as well for them. Um, because obviously Elm so such a niche uh, language um, or a, a subset of JavaScript, rather. I'm not even sure if you would consider a language or not. I would um, say so. Yeah. and uh, But they're able to like get people exposed to it and then like get people excited about it. And then they, they can pull from that talent to increase their, their actual their team, do, which has uh, been unique. Do they end up uh, just severely limiting how many people can come to make it really small? Or is it even in San Francisco so niche that uh, it's an I, I think it's the latter. It's so niche. Um, I've been once, and I've had a couple coworkers go as well, and it doesn't really break the 30 mark. Wow. Um, yeah, I, I think it's probably got up to 50 now since Elm's getting more popular. There's more talks out of it now. Um, I haven't been in like six months. And, uh, but yeah, it's just, it's just so niche. Um, it's also, it's not like there's no talk that happens. There's no like, there's no expectation of you like sitting there and learning or anything like that, or no real expectation of what you get out of the actual meetup. It's more of you coming with your questions and actually showing your Elm code. And like I said, next to a guy who worked at Zendesk and basically Zendesk is an Ember front end, a lot of React stuff, no Elm. Um, they've got like back end like Python or something like that. Yeah. And the guy just like prototyped a new chat client. Uh, Intercom is pretty popular for this actual tool. Mm -hmm. um, but it's when that like have a little question mark on the side and it, op it pops up and says like, hey, ask a question. And um, actually in the Zencaster, we actually have the same thing right here. And um, yeah, so he just built this like same thing in Elm. And he like, prototyped that he showed me and like he got me excited about Elm like my first night that I went there. Unfortunately, I have, I've done so many other things since then, so I haven't really got back at the Elm. Um, but it's always on my list of things like I need to go back to that meetup. I need to talk to these guys. And I, I'm definitely excited to like show up again and just hack on Elm just for like an hour and a half and that's it. Yeah, absolutely. Like how many, how many meetups do you think there are where you can sit next to the creator of the language and ask questions in a, yeah. in a kind of small... Like that, that, that sounds like an amazing opportunity and Elm, Elm is a lot of fun to learn. And I feel like, uh, even, even if you're not necessarily like, I'm really into like building UIs, this is my thing. Um, Elm will definitely, uh, expand your mind and, in, in new ways that will be helpful in, in picking up other programming languages or how you choose to, uh, solve the problem in your, your language of choice. It's yeah. And I, I think even for being such a, uh, a step away from like the way JavaScript's written and more closer towards like a functional type language. Um, it's what I was really fascinated was one of the team members on their, on their, Inc is a bootcamp grad. 
that came from some other school that learned like JavaScript and Ruby on Rails and et cetera or whatever. And he's also he's now employed by No Red Ink and was able to pick up Elm in a short amount of time. So like the actual learning curve of it, it's pretty high like the first week probably, but after that you're usually yeah, you start picking up like what the the gist of it. I mean, you might not going to be throwing together like this like some pretty whiz bang like UIs or anything like that, but you understand like data structures and how to like compile your own code and stuff like that pretty quickly. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of jealous of these people that uh, get to jump in and go straight into uh, kind of the the newest kind of stuff like. Uh, someone that is able to jump in and work in a functional programming language, like how many object-oriented patterns do they just like not have to know about anymore? Like your your solid design principles and stuff that um, you've really got to fight so much to protect inside of uh, a, a heavy OO kind of language. Um, you just it, at least for me, it's been really freeing to be able to to work in these functional languages, and I I think that. While we like think of functional programming as like coming from Lambda calculus, and so this is an academic thing, I, I really think that the barrier of entry for uh, for beginners coming in uh, to a functional language is probably less than what it is to writing good OO code. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It's, it's interesting. I've like seen this. Like I, I ignored functional. I've only been doing this like couple, uh, three years now. Mm-hmm. I ignored functional programming for the longest time because it just didn't seem like the way to go. And I think that's also part of the problem with the Elm meetup. It's actually not a problem. It's actually a good thing um, because it's a functional language and it's not, oh, it's not being taught in an actual boot camp unless people are aware of it and aware of like this meetup that's uh, available to them because they don't advertise it as well either. Um, uh, but if I was getting it, oh, so I was going to zoom out real quick and ask you since, so you came from the IT world to eventually doing Ruby on Rails. Mm-hmm. You've been doing this for like, almost three twice or three times as long as I've been doing. Um, so what's your opinion as far as like where the industry is going as a, a, a citizen of Tampa and not a citizen of the Bay area? Like, do you, do you see it differently? Like, I don't want to like feed your question, but I'm just curious, like yeah. uh, you're, you're, you're exposed to Elixir now, but like, where do you think like the actual languages are going? Um, where do I think like the languages or the, the business of, of doing programming is going or. Yeah. I mean, obviously Ruby on Rails is like, when I got into it, like it was pretty vibrant community. Mm -hmm. Um, but it was also Elixir was just getting on the scene and people were starting to be interested in other things. And people that looked up in the Ruby community are now writing Go and writing Elixir and stuff like that. So if, if someone were to start today, like what would they what would they point towards i guess i i would say like try them all a little bit and like pick whichever one kind of kind of makes you happy like what what you enjoy programming in the most like I, this is my advice as as someone that has a job um so maybe this isn't the best necessary uh career advice if you're just like trying to land land a job quickly um kind of thing but i like the tools are are gonna change, and uh, there are gonna be new ideas that are gonna drive things forward. And so, you've just kind of got gotta get used to learning new things. And hopefully, it's not just like uh, I've got to learn a new thing. Like, hopefully, you're really excited about the progress that's being made. Like, I, I while a lot of the concepts that I feel like are are driving a lot of the innovation, like aren't super new concepts. Like. As as a developer, like uh, as years go by, I I feel like I am 
I'm so, so, so much more powerful in, in being able to, uh, deliver things that, that are helpful for other people. So to me, the most important thing is, uh, finding what, what's going to make you passionate, like what, what is going to be interesting to you and hook you in, uh, so that you can, you can learn once you, once you pick, uh, one language up, you're going to have a mental model of, uh, different things that relate to other languages. And then you can see what the differences are and your mental model is a little bit further expanded. Um, but as far as like, I'm new, I'm trying to get in, like I, there's, there's been a lot of Rails uh, code that's been written in the past 10 years um, that is still going to need to be maintained, and there's more Rails code that's going to be written, and it makes a lot of sense for a lot of projects. Um, so that that will be there, but so so will everything else, and everything else will yeah. continue to gain uh, gain its fair share of, of what gets used. Yeah, yeah, that's a good answer. And then... Uh... It's it's funny because also you mentioned Elixir, which is also is it is Erlang what Elixir is written in or how's what's yeah, the relationship uh, between the two? Yeah, Erlang uh, or Elixir p- compiles to Erlang. Okay. So in the same cool. way that Elm would would compile to JavaScript, it compiles to Erlang. So okay. Yeah, because so I mentioned that because I had a coworker who worked at RDO, which is now defunct um, mm-hmm. and absorbed in the Pandora. But they actually had code specifically written in, like, I'm not sure if it's their chat client or where it actually was written, but it was actually written in Erlang because one engineer was actually excited about Erlang like five years ago. And they wrote that portion of the code in Erlang. So it was like this code that had to like live and be updated and maintained by new developers that were on the team too. So your point about Ruby on Rails code being written in the last 10 years and still being written today, like it... Code's not going to just like disappear just because React's now popular. No. Like people are going to continue to maintain Rails, and Rails is going to be a thing for a while. It just not might not be the cutting edge thing that everybody's talking about in ten years. And I'm sure that Rails will be will be cutting some edge, right? Like there yeah. there are a number of really smart people that are really uh, invested in it, and they're 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 doing some interesting things. Um, and what what gets picked up and what's popular or not, it, it seems like uh, things come and things go. And so at the end of the day, you've, you've got to pick some tools that you're excited about using um, and, and get some, some fun stuff uh, written. Cool. Awesome. And then we never actually talked about the other two meetups that you, you, um, you host. So you do eboard tech. What were the other two? Yeah. Quick? So I, I also have a functional, uh, Functional Ebor is what it's called. So a functional programming uh, meetup. So we've uh, I did a talk on uh, twelve different functional programming languages in overview, which at the beginning, which was a, a crazy uh, undertaking. Um, but yeah, we've had some talks on Elixir. We've had a series on Elm now that we've done. Um, we're about to dig into uh, some closure uh, next, and then uh, the last one actually is. Uh, is uh, Ebor Elixir, um, so that is that is brand new. Um, we haven't actually had our first meeting yet, but coming off of uh, going to Elixir Conf uh, here about a month ago, I'm like, I've got to get this started. I'm, I'm such a fanboy, like I've got to <laughs> actually talk about Elixir. 
like consistently. Ooh. And Elixir Conf was that in Orlando or? Yeah, it happened to be in Orlando this year, so it was it was super convenient. Uh, a lot of great talks. Definitely uh, check it out uh, on on YouTube. Oh yeah, I'll definitely check that out. Was there like, is there a large company in Orlando that's actually doing Elixir? Like, what was the no like reason for that? <laughs> I ha- I have no idea what what the draw was. It was at uh, at Disney World, so it might have just been like a a price uh, issue for a conference space. And yeah, I don't know. It was it was September in Florida, so it's not it's not exactly the most ideal time to be here. Yeah. Oh. Very cool. And then, uh, yeah, I just had one more question. I was actually really fascinated about the the fact that this is all the stuff's at Ebor. Since you've been doing Ebor Tech, I guess maybe within the last year. I'm not sure when it actually started. Yeah. I guess I could look at the a little actual, over a year now. A little over a year. Have you seen a growth in the actual community, like people moving to Ebor or companies like joining like the east side of Tampa or uh, yeah, east side? So there's definitely some of that that that's happening a little bit. Like I I wouldn't. I, so my hope is that I can be a small dent in making that happen. I can't point at any of that and say, like, I've actually uh, been able to move the needle on it yet. Um, but, yeah, that's that's the hope. Like, right now I work remotely, um, and I, I really like my job a lot. Uh, but if if I, uh, if I uh, that ends at some point here, I, I really don't want to have to relocate or uh, move or have to drop, have a long commute. Like my hope is that I can get on my bike and ride into Ybor. Cool. Awesome. Well, Tony, I really appreciate you uh, joining me and sharing your developing story and kind of getting insight, like how you got in and also what you're doing now too. So much appreciated for sure. Definitely. So that was Tony. Uh, hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, you guys should reach out to him if you're interested in more hearing about more about what he's doing in Tampa. Um, I know a lot of people from back home, in Tampa, listen to this. So if you don't know Tony, you should definitely check out his uh, his meetups in the area and uh, make the drive across the bridge. Do it. Other than that, I am, like I said at the beginning of the show, I'm still working on the conference talk. I've got about done. I'm actually giving a preview at React JS Bay Area SF. I'm, I'm, I think they've changed the name quite a few times. But yeah, basically React SF is what it used to be. And um yeah, I'm looking forward to that. It's going to be one of the biggest meetups I've done so far in the Bay Area. And, um, yeah, it's going to be packed out, like 250 people. And, um, yeah, other than that, I'm going to keep coding, um, keep reaching out to me. Uh, it's, it's funny. Um, Jamstack Radio is another podcast I do. I know I mentioned it a couple weeks ago, but and I also had an episode specifically dedicated to the first episode. Um, we will have the third episode coming out next week. We've got a couple more episodes recorded and being edited. So if you guys are interested in learning about JavaScript APIs and markup and this general com- uh, coding, um, it's more technical and it's uh, more interviews. Um, so definitely check it out. Jamstack Radio. Um, Google it. I think uh, if you go to heavybit.com slash jamstackradio, you should be able to find it. All right. Other than that, happy hacking. <laughs>